0: Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. This is the fourth and final Advent Uh, Fourth and final Sunday of Advent, Advent, as we've said, is a season of waiting. And so this uh, in this season of distraction, uh, we have been practicing the lost art of paying attention because that's what we do when we wait, isn't it? We pay attention. In particular, we've been paying attention to Jesus. The scriptures uh, summarize this practice in one word, and that one word is behold which simply means look or listen or pay attention, behold. And so uh, this word is often used in the scriptures in reference to Jesus. And so last week, John the Baptist told us to behold who? To behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this week, an angel of the Lord is going to tell the shepherds in the field to behold as well. Let's take a look again. This is Luke chapter 2, verse 8. I'll read the text. We can pray and see what God has for us this morning. This is God's word. And in the same reason, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is God's word. Let's just pray. Lord, would you speak for your servants are listening. Holy Spirit, come because we need your empowering presence at this very moment. As we lay our hearts open to the word that you inspired. So come. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, let me just say, I love my iPhone. I love it. I don't know what I would do without it. In fact, I'm preaching to it right now. Uh, I don't know what I would do without it. I love the thing, but I think I have a feeling I love it too much. See, one of my least favorite things about my iPhone is the screen time report that it gives me because it bluntly tells me on a regular basis how much attention I have been giving to my phone or at least what is behind my phone. Uh, I like to think of myself even as having digital restraint, but my phone reminds me weekly that apparently I don't. I read recently that we check our phones about 58 times a day, which honestly feels like a low number to me. Uh, This adds up to about three and a half hours on our phones a day. And for reference, the last Lord of the Rings movie is about three and a half hours, uh, which is even up from last year. And so what this means is that we are giving a lot of attention to our phones and to whatever is on the other sides of our phones. And the thing is, here's the amazing thing about it all. We don't like it. We don't like it. We feel out of control. According to one recent survey, and I'm quoting just one in 10 people said they felt in control of how they spend their day. One in 10 people report that they feel in control with how they spend their day. It says if we don't use our phones, but our phones use us. And so we use phrases like screen addiction and digital Detox, And listen, this can be true of anything that we give our attention to, our jobs, our bank account, our reputation. We can start to feel out of control. Whether we like it or not, we are shaped and influenced by what we pay attention to. What we pay attention to shapes us. Put another way, We become what we behold. This is a a biblical observation. This is an ancient observation. The Christian philosopher James K. A. Smith puts it this way: You are defined by what you love. It's your loves that govern your action and pursuits. Indeed, he says, you are more defined by what you love than what you think or know or believe. In other words, we become. What well, we behold. And so it matters deeply, doesn't it? Who we behold or what we behold. And which is why this Advent, we have been beholding Jesus. In this era of distraction and addiction, we want to be distracted by his grace. We want to be addicted to his love. We want to behold Jesus. And this passage that we just heard, Luke chapter 2, summons us yet again to behold Jesus. The angel of the Lord tells the shepherds uh, in the field, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the lord and this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger so right away we see in this proclamation from the angel how christianity is different from all other religions and human philosophies religions give good advice true christianity gives what does the angel say good news uh, religions tend to give us great pride or, or great discouragement, uh, great pride if we succeed in, in the religion, great discouragement if we fail in the religion, but true Christianity, what does the angel say? Gives us true joy, a deep joy, irrespective of our circumstances and our performance. Religion is about personal improvement, and what we hear from this angel is that true Christianity is not about personal improvement, but about beholding a person, the person of Jesus. That's what makes Christmas so radical. It's the celebration of an event It's not a rehearsal of of things we must do to get God's love. It's basically a remembrance of and a celebration of an event. Something happened in history to save us, outside of us. The birth of a Savior. We either reject Him or behold Him. There is no in-between. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to behold Him. I want you to behold him with this passage as our guide. There is something so beautiful in the passage. It might be a familiar passage to you. There is something, though, so beautiful about Jesus in this passage that I believe that it will compel you to give you to give all of your attention to Jesus, to give all of your beholding to Jesus. What is it in this passage? Well, I would like to submit to you that it, that it is the humility of Jesus the humility of Jesus I want you to see that Jesus comes in humility I want you to see that Jesus comes to the humble and I want you to see that Jesus came to make us humble as well so the first thing that I see in this text I want you to see is that Jesus comes in humility take a look again at what the angel says Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, This statement is a study in contrast. On the one hand, uh, Jesus is mighty. And on the other hand, this same mighty Jesus is lying in a manger. So so on the one hand, Jesus is mighty. This is a contrast to the manger. He's described with three mighty titles, Savior, Christ, and Lord. This kind of trifecta of of might that, that, that Jesus is described as. I mean, you cannot go any higher than these three titles. The Old Testament is clear. Salvation. Belongs to the Lord. Jesus is Savior here. He is Savior, which belongs to the Lord. And then even those in the day uh, that Luke is writing who didn't grow up with the Bible, maybe they didn't know salvation belongs to the Lord. They did know Caesar Augustus. They did know that he also was described as as Savior And so they knew that by Jesus being called Savior in this text, that this is a mighty, mighty, mighty one. And then Christ... This is the title that God's people reserved for someone who would embody perfectly the prophets, the priests and the kings. This was the anointed one, which is what Christ means by oil, which which all three of those offices were anointed by oil. They were set apart and they would redeem and they would rescue God's people, Christ. And so he is not only savior, but he is also Messiah. Messiah. And then to top it all off, uh, this angel declares Jesus as Lord. He's mighty. He's Yahweh in flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's Savior. He's Christ. And he's Lord. Jesus is mighty. And yet, on the other hand, Jesus, this Jesus, this mighty Jesus, is in a manger. Now... I think the word manger has been blunted over uh, the centuries. If you went around and asked folks what a manger is, I think most folks would say, I think it's some kind of rustic crib, some kind of rustic crib. But a manger is frankly just another word for a dirty feeding trough for animals. Uh, Think slobber, spit, and slop. That's what you should think of when you hear the word manger. We're so familiar with the word in the nativity setting that I think it's lost its shock. But let me just say that Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, in a manger, in a manger, in a feeding trough, in a dog bowl, essentially, is shocking. It's utterly shocking. See, Jesus comes in humility. His very first act, if you think about it on earth, is humble, submitting to swaddling cloths, which um, frankly is a glorified straitjacket, right? Lying in a feeding trough reserved for oxen and donkeys. This is the Lord of all? This is the Savior? This is the Messiah? Yes! In fact, uh, the manger, according to the angel, is the sign. It's the sign for the shepherds. It's what would set this baby apart from all other babies in the region. Behold the humility of Jesus. I love the work of the Australian historian, John Dixon And he has a book I recommend highly called Humilitas. And in it, he points out how today we understand humility to be a virtue and we understand pride uh, to be a vice. We just sort of take that for granted. We're disgusted by bragging. We're disgusted by gloating. We discourage self-congratulation. But this was not always true. We take it for granted, but it was not always true. In fact, the opposite was true in the day that Jesus was born. So there's a list of virtues written on the wall of the Temple of Apollos at Delphi that gives us a good idea of, of kind of what the good life meant back then. Dixon, he points out that among the 147 maxims on the Temple of Apollos at Delphi, not one of them, not one of them encourages humility. These maxims were the, the path to the good life. This is what every respectable citizen should do. And not one of them promotes humility. You'll see things like nothing to excess or, or meet out justice, but you will not encounter, let go of your status in order to serve others in obscurity. That is not what the world and how the world ticked. We take it for granted today, but when Jesus came into the world, this was not a virtue. And Dixon defines humility this way, quote, the choice to forego your status Deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. Forgo your status, deploy your resources, use your influence for the good of others before yourself. That is Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 2, you must have the same attitude Jesus came not only to live for us, but to die for us, to die the death our sin deserves. And so isn't it fitting that Jesus began his earthly ministry in a stone box, the manger. And he ends his ministry in a stone box, the tomb, before he rises again. This is the humility of Jesus. I want you to behold him in his humility. Behold him. Worship him. Let your heart stand in awe of this reality right now. Just just behold that. Behold the humility of Jesus. Jesus comes in humility. He also comes to the humble. So uh, uh, he comes to the humble. The first row of seats to this birth, in other words, were not the celebrities of the day, but very common people in the outskirts of life. Who does Jesus invite to his birth? Well, Mary and Joseph, most obviously. Mary and Joseph were not wealthy and they weren't well-known. They're well-known today uh, in part because of the nativity and because of scriptures. But in those days, they were not well-known. They were not wealthy. A few verses later, if you took a look at uh, Jesus presented at the temple, uh, starting in verse 22 and following, you'll notice that they uh, basically... Um, Dedicated Jesus with turtle doves now, in the Old Testament law, uh, turtle doves was the concession for materially poor people. Mary and Joseph were humble; they were on the margins, and then who else was? given front row seats to the birth of Jesus. Well, the shepherds right here in this text, we see it. To some in those days, the shepherds were sort of untrustworthy and despised in the culture. And to others, shepherds were just shepherds. They were just shepherds. They were just shepherds, normal, everyday people who lived with their flocks, who did their job. No power, no wealth, no influence. They were just shepherds. And for some reason, Jesus not only uh, invites Mary and Joseph, of course, to his birth, but also these shepherds. Daryl Bach, the theologian, says, quote, God is involved not just with the special or the great, but with all people. His announcement of the child's arrival to everyday folk shows his commitment to the mass of humanity. Those on whom God's favor rests include those whose claim to fame, listen, may be nothing more than that they wake up each day and pursue a living in service to God. Now, I'm a bit of an Anglophile, which means I... Love England and all things England, um, and for some reason, my Google News algorithm uh, knows this about me, so every day I seem to get british royalty news uh, it 's pretty funny, uh, so I know when royal babies are born, and um, I also know I happen to know that it 's a very closed off thing when it happens there 's no access to the common people right there's only the inner inner circle is allowed, um, aristocrats and loyalty i 'm assuming. And then when the baby is revealed, it's a very orchestrated event, isn't it? We even do this. We're not royalty, but we even do this. We reserve the birth of a baby to our inner circle. I often say to couples uh, in in the hospital who have just received the baby that I feel very privileged to be admitted into this inner circle. But the way of Jesus is just upside down to the ways of the world, isn't it? Because for his royal birth... He invites into his presence the humble of the world. He reverses and turns upside down our expectations. Mary knew this. Mary knew this when she sang, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Behold Jesus. He comes in humility and he comes to the humble and the third thing in this text that we see is that Jesus not only came in humility and he not only came to the humble but he also uh, came to make us humble. And this is a good thing. This is a very good thing. We are designed by God to be humble before him. Pride and self-focus uh, is really our greatest enemy. And as I shared at the beginning of our of our message, that many of us admit one in in, uh, nine out of 10 people admit that they do not feel in control of their life. They feel like life has something more to it. They feel in a way trapped or enslaved. We are designed by God to be humble before him. And so pride and self-focus and beholding ourselves and beholding so many other things in this creation is not the way we were made. And so Jesus comes to rescue us from this. He rescues us to behold him, to become humble before him. How does he do this? Well, notice what happens to everybody in verses 18 through 19 when they behold Jesus. Two words I notice. Ponder and wonder. So look at verse eighteen. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it has been told them. I like what um, what we see here. We see a pondering, and we see a wondering, and both of those things are humble. Both of of those things are what it looks like when a human is fully alive. It's when they're wondering at Jesus and they're pondering Jesus. And so first, Jesus makes us ponder. Uh, The New Living Translation says, Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. Thought about them often. The word ponder involves a prayerful meditation on the words and the actions of God. It's when we chew on the things of God and we ask God to help us integrate them into our lives. That's humility. That's that's humility. When we behold Jesus, we ponder, we ponder, we ponder him and we ask for his help so that we might live in greater conformity to Jesus. That's that's a humble posture. And that's what happens when we see him. Has it happened to you? Have you encountered the real Jesus? And are you now in a a place where you ponder him? You ponder what it would look like to follow him in your day, in your job, in your relationships. You ponder what the scriptures mean in your life and what they mean and, and, and how they reveal the glory and the beauty of Jesus. But he also makes us wonder, wonder. The Greek word here can also be translated amazed amazed. That's what happens when you behold the real Jesus. And that's really what happens in large scale in this text. The 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 uh, angels are amazed and they and they sort of proclaim the glory of God when they when they declare what has happened in the birth of Jesus. And then, you know, everybody is amazed. They're amazed at what the shepherds say about Jesus, about Jesus being Lord and Savior in Christ. And so, what we see by the end of this text is that the shepherds who are just doing their job, by the end of it they're joining in the heavenly hosts above them that broke open into wonder, into amazement. And this is what happens. We all join into the worship in heaven when we see the real Jesus. When we behold the real Jesus, we we join the heavens in their wonder. The real Jesus who as Savior, saves you from your sin and your greatest enemies death and Satan. The real Jesus who, who doesn't Come to judge your sin, but is judged in your place. Why? So that you can, as the angel declared, have peace with God that replaces your fear, that replaces your guilt and replaces your shame with what? With what the angel calls great joy. The real Jesus who breaks heaven open over you so that you can join in in the worship. That's what Jesus does. When you behold something, uh, you wonder. It's just what you do. You wonder. You you get amazed. You stop talking and you start praising. Uh, This happened to me a few years ago when I saw El Capitan in Yosemite. I just stopped talking. As soon as I saw it in my view, I just stopped talking. And what did I do? I beheld it. I beheld it. I amazed. I was amazed by it. I wondered at it. And beholding led to that. See, that's the heart posture that we all have before any great thing, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's like El Capitan, nature. How much more Jesus who created all those things, who created all those things and yet was born in a manger. God with us. See, Jesus came not only in humility, but he came to make us humble. He came to unlock our hearts to the fullest extent, which is a heart that is in amazement towards God. A heart that is not self-absorbed, but a heart that is Christ-absorbed. And that is the great life. And that's what Jesus does. Do you know that you are most alive? Do you know that you are most fully human when you are gobsmacked in awe of Jesus? Do you know that? So may you behold him this morning. May you behold him this Christmas. May you look at him. May you consider him. May you ponder him with Mary. And may you wander at him with the shepherds. So friends, this Christmas, behold Jesus. Pay attention to him. Because we become what we behold. And he alone frees us into what we were created to be. Lord, we do ask that you would free our hearts this morning, that you would free our hearts to behold you, to see you for who you are, Jesus. We ask that our hearts would begin worshiping. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe we have followed you our whole lives or much of our life. And yet it seems like it's been a while since our hearts have been unlocked and unburdened to see and sing of your beauty. Would you do that now? Lord, would you do that now? Would you use your word, look to, to do that? Would we see the beauty of Jesus and what he has done? We behold you, Jesus. We look at you. We stand in awe of you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.